The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God, this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. Today is Monday, October 5th, 2020. On this day in 1945, police clashed with striking workers outside of the Warner Brothers studio. The incident, known as Hollywood's Black Friday, forever changed labor relations in the motion picture industry. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a ParCast original. Today we're delving into Hollywood's Black Friday. At the end of a grueling seven-month strike, a number of film set workers came to blows with police. Let's go back to Burbank, California on October 5th, 1945, around four in the morning. It was still dark out when the striking members of CSU, the Conference of Studio Unions, arrived. Carpenters, set painters, craftsmen, and artists all gathered by the west side of the Warner Brothers lot to set up their pickets. By 5 a.m., there were 40 protesters, with more trickling in by the minute. Among them was CSU president and former set painter Herb Sorrell, who had organized the assembly. The picketers were ready for resistance, many wearing white painted helmets, which made the growing crowd visible even in the pre-dawn gloom. By 6 a.m., there were 300 picketing union members, vastly outnumbering the 54 Burbank policemen who had come to control the situation. The tipping point came soon afterward, as a Warner Brothers security worker arrived for his morning shift and attempted to drive past the protesters. The crowd surged into the vehicle and turned it over. Minutes later, two other employees had their vehicles flipped by the union members. Clashes became more frequent as the Burbank police attempted to form a barrier between the strikers and non-strikers. As the tension rose, Chief of Police Elmer Adams telephoned the Glendale and Los Angeles Police Departments for reinforcements. Later accounts would suggest that the number of strikers had grown to over 700 by that point. No one can really agree when the violence started, but everyone agrees it was relentless. The police, joined by strikebreakers, laid into the protesters mercilessly. Later reports would list the weapons used as chains, bolts, hammers, six-inch pipes, brass knuckles, wooden mallets, and battery cables, on top of the batons the police already wielded. Warner Brothers security lobbed tear gas canisters from the roofs of nearby buildings. Then the firemen arrived and rolled out their hoses. Chaos seized the crowd. Sorrel later recalled, first they drove through the picket lines at a high rate of speed, several cars. I think we took four people to the hospital. 
Warner Brothers then dragged out the fire hose. They turned it on the people's feet and just swept them right out from under. There were women knocked down and people knocked down and torn. It was a slaughter the way they handled it. The strikers attempted to fight back by throwing bottles and stones at the police using the overturned cars as cover. According to Variety magazine, by noon, reinforcements arrived for both sides. When the smoke cleared, there were dozens left seriously injured. At least 25 people were hurt, with some admitted to nearby hospitals. Demonstrators wondered whether the protest had been effective in doing anything other than creating casualties. And for the Conference of Studio Unions, the worst was yet to come. Coming up, we'll explore the historical context of the strike. Hi, listeners. I'm so excited to introduce you to the newest Spotify original from Parcast called Blind Dating. Hosted by YouTuber Tara Michelle, Blind Dating is a fun twist on a classic setup. Strangers are introduced, conversation commences, and sparks either fly or fizzle. But here's the catch. Our hopeful singles have to choose their match before ever seeing their face. And once they've picked their potential date, we turn the cameras on, and then it's either butterflies or goodbyes. Blind Dating airs weekly, with new episodes every Wednesday. You can find and follow Blind Dating free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Sound the gifting panic alarm. You need to get an amazing gift. Wait, no, the perfect gift. Relax. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Now back to the story. On October 5th, 1945, Hundreds of disgruntled film industry professionals protested outside the Warner Brothers studio backlot in Burbank. It was the culmination of a strike that had begun in late March of that same year, organized by the Conference of Studio Unions. This was a big deal for the studio, as the CSU had over 10,000 members. What happened that October was the culmination of a cold war between two union groups seeking recognition from the studios. The first, the International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees, or IATSE, was a blanket organization that represented local unions for various stage employees. The second was the CSU, which represented carpenters, cartoonists, and painters. The two union groups didn't overlap until the late 1930s, when a number of set decorators broke away from IATSE to form a new union under CSU. CSU President Herb Sorrell attempted to negotiate a new contract with producers to include the new addition to his union, but the talks stalled. Negotiations broke down even further when reps from IATSE claimed they had jurisdiction over the new union. 
Faced with a conflict between labor unions, the producers backed away from the table, setting the stage for the strike of 1945. In March of that year, around 10,500 CSU members stopped work, picketing studios, backlots, and even cinemas. Production halted on a number of large studio productions. Unfortunately for CSU, the studios had built up a backlog of over 100 films, more than enough to wait out the strike. Disney and Monogram bargained with the strikers, but larger studios like Columbia, RKO, Universal, Fox, Paramount, and Warner Brothers refused to budge. The strike went on for half a year, culminating in the events of Hollywood's Black Friday, when CSU President Herb Sorrell organized the strike at the Warner's campus. CSU was running low on time and resources, with no clear signs of progress. If this dramatic demonstration was intended to force the studio's hand, it didn't quite have the effect Sorrell hoped for. By the end of October, studios were back at the table and a settlement was reached. However, this led to an unofficial blacklist of CSU members who supported the strike and its violence. These workers were often baselessly accused of being communists and gradually forced out of work at the major studios. CSU never truly recovered, and IATSE reorganized to absorb the workers they represented. The events of the strike also spurred Congress to pass the 1947 Taft-Hartley Act, a law which defined unfair labor practices and restricted the power of unions. President Harry Truman vetoed the law, but his veto was overturned by both the House and the Senate. During both the Carter and Clinton administrations, labor rights advocates attempted to repeal Taft-Hartley, but in both cases failed to receive sufficient support. Taft-Hartley required union officers to sign anti-communist statements and severely limited the legality of striking. In addition, it reversed a previous law that required the employer to remain neutral, allowing employers to vocally oppose their own workers' right to organize. The type of strike that caused Hollywood's Black Friday, a jurisdictional strike, which is an argument between different unions, is now illegal. When standing up for your rights can be treated as a crime by your employer, the line between an employee and a criminal becomes thin. As Hollywood's Black Friday reminds us, sometimes standing up for one's dignity can be dangerous, but for many, it's worth the risk. Thanks for listening to Today in True Crime. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Today in True Crime is a ParCast original. You can find more episodes of Today in True Crime and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Today in True Crime, for free, from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Today in True Crime on Spotify, just open the app and type Today in True Crime in the search bar. We'll be back with a brand new episode tomorrow in True Crime. 
Today in True Crime was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Juan Borda, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Joshua Kern. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Robert Teamstra, with writing assistance by Terrell Wells. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Remember to follow Blind Dating for a Dash of Romance and Rejection. YouTuber Tara Michelle hosts, and she's thrilled to help hopeful singles meet their match once they've survived the hot seat. Follow Blind Dating free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.